Welcome to the Boss in Heels podcast with your host, Lara Nassessian, the podcast that shares the mindset, habits, tools, and tactics of inspiring women. Hi, everyone. I'm Lara Nassessian, and welcome to the Boss in Heels podcast, where it's my job to share the mindset, habits, tools, and tactics of inspirational women. Before we jump into today's episode, I'd like to ask you a small favor. If you are enjoying the show and getting value from it, then the best way that you can show your support is to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts, and also to recommend it to a friend or a family member or someone who you know would really value and benefit from listening to these episodes. Not only does it help us out tremendously, but it also ensures that we are reaching the right audiences. With that being said, I'm so excited to announce today's guest, Rebecca Campbell. Rebecca is a serial entrepreneur, best known for being the co-founder of food order app HeyU, which facilitates over 125,000 food and beverage orders per week. HeyU is her fourth, yes, fourth startup. Rebecca started a music management company at just 22 years of age and brokered artists such as George, Matt Corby, Evermore, and Liesl Mitchell, developed an online concert ticket promotion company, which she sold just two years later, and most recently started Zambisi.com, the Airbnb for education, which offers online masterclasses with leaders from Google, TEDx, and Facebook. But that's not all. Rebecca is now an author, having just published her first book titled 138 Dates, the true story of one woman's search for everything. I so loved this conversation with Rebecca because not only do we go deep in terms of her entrepreneurial story and her mindset and some of the practices that she's developed over the years, but she also openly shared her experience about going on 138 dates with men over a period of three years after not having dated for 10 years. It is such a great story. And I feel like whether you are single or in a relationship, I really feel like there's some awesome and insightful insights and experiences that Rebecca really candidly shares as part of this interview. So without further ado, please enjoy this wide ranging conversation with Rebecca Campbell. Rebecca, welcome to Boston Hills. Thank you. Um, lovely to be here. Yeah, I'm so happy to have you on. And um, that is one seriously long and impressive resume. And so I would love if you could start by telling us a little bit about your first entrepreneurial experience and where you think you got this entrepreneurial gene from. Sure. I mean, the resume for a start sounds so much more impressive when you read it out than I feel. But um, anyway, I'll try and give you as much background as I can. I think I, I think I always ran little tiny businesses. Like I remember being seven years old and I had nothing to do. Possibly from being an only child, I was on my own a lot. And so I had to kind of make up these projects to do. And I remember um, cutting some flowers and selling them on the side of the road and 
I got my mum to buy me some balloons so that people would see my little stand and they'd stop and buy my flowers. And then I just did things like we had a kind of holiday place that would go back onto a golf course and I would like go and find lost golf balls and sell them back to the shop. And just like just things like that I did all the way through school. And I think I just always imagined that I would do something in business where I'd be working for myself. That was just when I picked my career as a kind of teenager, that's what I saw myself doing. And so I didn't know what, but when I was at uni, I just studied the stuff that I was interested in. I studied religion and um, politics and Maori language because I was in New Zealand, just like the stuff I, I was passionate about. And then in the uni holidays, I decided to do uh, like a project, so I'd have something to do, um, which was to put on a concert that raised awareness of youth suicide. Wellington at that time, which is where I grew up, had the highest youth suicide rate in the world. So I was like, this is crazy. So I wanted to raise awareness of youth of support organizations. And so my friend worked in student radio and she had Neil Finn from Crowded House home phone number. And so I called him up and he actually answered the phone. <laughs> and we had this long discussion about youth mental health and my idea for a concert. And then he was like, I remember him saying, You gotta can you send me a fax? And I was like, sure. And then I was like, Mom, can you t- we, we need to get a fax machine, so we drove off to, to buy a fax so I could fix Neil Finn. And, um, and anyway, I called him the next day after my fax, and he said, yes, I'd love to do it. And so that became a huge event. There was like 50,000 people there, and it was all broadcast on TV. I was kind of the face of it. And I guess that got me really to lift my level of ambition. It made me realize that like I could, it was really hard to put the whole thing together. And so many times I thought I was going to fail, but I just kept going. And I kind of learned, learned this really important lesson at age 19, which was like, I have the ability, so long as I stick at things, that they'll, they'll eventually work out. I'll kind of figure out what I'm doing as long as I don't give up. And so I kind of, that lifted my level of ambition about, you know, a thing that I might want to do in the future. And yeah, I guess that's where it all came from. Yeah, that sounds like a really insightful lesson to learn at 19 years of age. And from that yeah. point, like where did you sort of go from from that stage? Because I feel like you sort of, you entered in this sort of music management industry and then how do you go from that to then say you know starting something like hey you which I know it didn't start off with the name hey you but it's such a recognizable name and you know so widely used you know even here in Australia everyone knows about hey you everyone knows about the app um, and either uses it themselves or has someone that they know that uses it or standing in a cafe line and then you know the hey you order kind of cuts in before (laughs) before then so how did you actually go from these different you know quite different industries and types of businesses as well within sort of your entrepreneurial journey how did you sort of go through those various types of industries and making those transitions well I mean I I think now, looking back with hindsight, I kind of fell into things. I didn't really until until much more recently, like now, you know, I didn't I didn't really think about my purpose and what my passions were and what I really wanted to do. So I wish I had, but 
I so the concert went really well. I then got offered a job by Neil Finn's manager in Sydney, which is what led me to Sydney. I had one year of uni to go. After that, I moved out to Sydney and worked for him. And then he said, you know, you should find a little band and start managing them. Then who are just playing pubs and you'll learn about the industry. And so I found this little band who were called George. And at that stage, nobody ever heard of George that played on the radio. And I, I thought they were great. And so I started managing them. They were from Brisbane. And then we came on the radio and it became, we had a huge hit record a couple of years later. Um, and I started my own management company. So then I signed this band Evermore from New Zealand and, and then a bunch of other acts. So it wasn't like I honestly thought I want to get into music. I'm really passionate about music. It was more that I was passionate about youth health. And so I did that concert and then the concert led to me working in music. And then I kind of went with it. Um, and I reached 30 and I clearly remember, this is a track point, being backstage at the Day Out concert. I'd been on the whole tour and I'd been on the Big Day Out tour every year for about six years. And I was just like, someone else would love this experience, but this is just not my passion. And so I felt kind of I felt guilty for taking someone else's spot and I felt lost as to what my passion really was. Um, and, and, and so I set out to find it. So I had to kind of wind music business, which was really hard because it was a successful company and it's not the kind of business you can sell because it's a, it's a personal management company. I wish someone had told me this when I started. But, you know, because I was, I was a key person in all the contracts with artists, I was never, I never wasn't building an asset I could sell. So I, like I had to dismantle a very successful business in order to kind of go into the thing. So that was really hard to do. And, and the next thing was at stage, it was like 2010, I think the network movie had come out and, and I thought, you know, tech would be the next thing. So I kind of rushed into starting a tech company. Originally the idea was, to sell tickets to concerts because that was an industry I knew. Um, that idea, I know that you said I'd sold it. I did sell, I built it with my own money and then I raised a little bit of money from investors and then sold it to our biggest client. So, but I lost money on it. I didn't sell it and make it have a successful exit or anything. Like the, the our biggest client was having success on the platform, but I was not ever able to make it make a profit. So, I let basically them take it and got a little money for it. And then I kind of wanted to take what I'd learned from that to go on to the next thing, which was Posse, which was a recommendation app for shops. And then that grew really well, but I didn't have a revenue model. So then I was like, I should put payments into this. Um, and this other guy, Adam, had started a business in Sydney called BQ, which was quite small, but it was about ordering ahead for coffees at cafes. Um, but it had a great revenue model and really high engagement. And I had a lot of customers and a lot of stores, but not great engagement and okay engagement, but no revenue. And so we put the businesses together and we formed Hey You. And so that was kind of how it all came about. <laughs> that is such a great story. And, you know, hearing you talk about your entrepreneurial story, I think it's really interesting because from an outsider's perspective, often you know, people will hear of, you know, founders and, you know, people that are really successful in business and think that, you know, 
it just kind of came easy to them or they just must be, you know, connected or they got a leg up in life or, you know, whatever it might be. Um, but it certainly doesn't sound like that was the case for you at all. And hearing you share some of your story, it sounds like there, there were certainly some hurdles that you've had to, to face, um, in developing and building these startups. So, irrespective of whether it was tech or music or anything else mm. like that, have have you found that there's any particular recurring hurdles that you've had to commonly face throughout these experiences? Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, the stuff that I kind of worked out through, like I've always been someone who's worked really hard and that's been my kind of secret source, I guess, is that, I will kind of out effort people or I'll just not out effort people. I will just keep going until I, um, until I get there. I'm super tenacious, but I'm not, there's lots of things that I'm not good at. And so, um, through the process of kind of building a few businesses and just continuing on when it gets hard, you do kind of learn a lot about yourself and what your strengths and weaknesses are. So, I mean, my strengths are that I'm pretty good at communicating with people. I'm good at, um, I'm really good at sales and inspiring people and speaking and I'm pretty good at writing. Um, but you know, my weaknesses, recurring weaknesses are that I'm not greatly organized. Like I'm not a good project manager that, that I will kind of have a big vision and you now I set goals and I can kind of see how it all comes together. But the, I've just never been good at kind of day to day management or admin that kind of stuff. And that leads into people management. I'm also, I'm good at finding really good people. That's been the only way that I've managed to succeed, like getting, finding good team members and inspiring them to join me. But I'm not a great manager and I've struggled for years and years. Every time I've ever worked with a business coach, it's always like top on my list is people management and, <laughs> um, and essentially like admin project management stuff. Both of those things I've always been, that, yeah, I've always really struggled with. I think having that awareness though is such a critical part of it because I think when we're aware of our strengths and and some of the opportunities, I think there is an there there is something to be said about you know having a high level of self awareness and actually just kind of owning the parts that you're not as good at and not not as strong at not as strong at because mm. I don't think that there's anyone that is you know. Excel, excels at every aspect of, you know, starting a business or being a people leader or any of those things. So I really do feel like there is merit in having that understanding of where your strengths and weaknesses lie and then hiring yeah. the right people to, you know, fill some of those gaps um, where you may not be as strong. And Talking about hiring yeah. team members, because you mentioned that's a strength of yours is actually identifying talent and then surrounding yeah. yourself with the right people. When it does come to you building a team of people around you, what are some of the typical qualities that you're looking for? Um, when I'm looking for kind of exceptional talent, I guess is usually the, the main, like one of the things I'm just trying to think it's always different for different roles. I'm really looking for someone who follows through on what they say they're going to do. That's you know, essential, actually quite difficult to find. Um, and 
is someone who's passionate about what we're doing as well. Someone who's going to, I want people who are going to wake up in the morning with an idea for business and care and, you know, pick up on things when things aren't right or speak up, you know, when, when they see something or, you know, speak up when they have an idea for how something can be better. And it's really, it's hard to find team members that don't just Texas and then to build that kind of culture where, you know, people care about the business so much that they're willing to kind of, you know, fight internally for what they believe in and, you know, work hard. But, but yeah, you know, I come with ideas and I don't know if that makes sense, but that's what I'm, that's, that's what I'm looking for. That makes total sense. And just going back to one of the things you said, you feel like you don't have any crazy talents. I would totally disagree with (laughs) that statement, but you did say that you outwork others, you outwork other people. And I feel like that really is such a talent and a superpower. And I really do believe in that as well. I really do believe that you can outwork talent. So my question is, where did, firstly, I guess it's two parts. Where do you think that this work ethic came from? Is this something that was instilled in you from a young age? Because it sounds like, you know, Mm. you selling flowers on the side of the road (laughs) and then going and collecting golf balls. You know, that's not usual activities that you might see of a seven-year-old. Is that something that you feel you kind of learned from your parents or was almost like ingrained in you Um, from a young age? Maybe. I mean, the funny thing is my parents, I mean, I'm sure they won't listen, so I can't (laughs) really. But um, so they, I always saw them working hard. Like I always saw them, you know, working at night and getting up early in the morning and working into stuff. And I just thought that that was what was normal. So when I – um. I wasn't a super hard worker at school, but as soon as I started working, I just thought that that's what you did. It's only recently that I have discovered that my parents actually faff. They don't really work. Like, <laughs> I see them, like, they're always on their computers and they're like checking the news sites and they're on Facebook and they're, yeah. they're like reading funny forums that they're on now with other people like them. But um, <laughs> anyway, they're not like actually massively hard workers at all. Because I'm like, why aren't you guys more productive given how hard we are? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but anyway, that didn't really matter because I still had it in me that that was what you did. You worked, you know, you did these long hours. Um, but um, I mean, I don't say that I necessarily out effort others, but I, I, I just, I think the other part of it is that I've never been afraid of um, the kind of grind stuff, and I think that comes from like that initial concert that I organised. Because again, I wasn't massively hardworking at school. I would try and get the highest marks possible with the lowest amount of work, but um, or at uni really. But um, but when I organised that concert, I worked really hard, and I saw it pay off. Mm. And I did everything, all of the little, you know, every single thing that you could think of to do with that event. I I organised it, and then managing bands again was another. It was just an industry where you had to do everything. You had to like, when you're the manager, you are doing the books, you're, you know, buying the advertising. I was, you know, writing articles for the, um, like drum media and stuff. And so that for free and exchanging them for free ads for my band's concerts. And, um, you know, you just, you get used to it. You do the hustle because that's the only way really to break bands, you know, with Evermore, we, 
the record company were not really into, you know, we're not, didn't think it was going to be a big record at all. And we thought it was going to be a big record. And so they wouldn't have any budget. So we traveled around high schools and I would call up high schools, usually regional high schools, because the city high schools wouldn't have us. Um, and then <laughs> would charge a gold coin donation for the kids to get in. And then I'd, everybody would get a free CD. And so I ran this like kind of, not really a scam, but I, I bought CDs, singles, back when they did CD singles, cheap from my friend who worked at a record store for like two cents more per single than they bought them for from wholesale. So essentially I was like paying, buying wholesale these things. So I could sell them for virtually nothing. And then, but they would, he would run them through his scanner for the ARIA chart. And so we were kind of just getting by, um, like traveling around regional New South Wales and regional Victoria, like paying for backpacker hospital hostels and petrol with like bags of gold coins that we'd taken from like kids <laughs> in high schools. And then the ARIA chart would keep going up because we were selling all these singles at the high schools. And then that was how we got on the radio. And because the radio stations would look at the ARIA chart and then the whole thing took off. But it was just like, I just, that was just, that's how you do things in music when you have no money. And so that I think, and I approached my startup the same way. I mean, I don't have, even now with my book, I don't have someone doing my social media advertising. I'm figuring out how to do it all and learning how to create, you know, look like audiences and <laughs> retargeting audiences and stuff like that. Like I just like, I mean, I, I like doing that grind stuff and I think it is, well, I didn't say I like it, but I don't mind doing it because I know that it's important because that's kind of how you actually understand your business and your customers and how things work. Totally. That makes such sense. And I can really kind of hear that hustle come through in everything that you've done. Like it's really kind of transpired throughout your entire entrepreneurial journey up until this point. And um, I guess the question that I wanted to ask you is, you know, throughout your career, you, you know, you seem to have this ability to really think outside the box, you know, think creatively, you know, look for solutions, you know, figure things out on your own um, until you kind of make things work. You know, what has been, you know, what do you think has been the driving force behind that or what do you think has really kind of brought that out in you? Is it just this kind of hardworking attitude of I'm just going to kind of figure things mm -hmm. out and try different things until I see what sticks or, you know, what's been your sort of strategy behind that? Um, I mean, I think it probably I've been quite ambitious. I think I've always been ambitious and I think I'll just do whatever it takes to make it work. I think it's just that there's two, two things combined being like, I have a high expectation of how this is going to go and I'm just going to, what it, I don't, because I know that I'm going to do whatever it takes to make it work. And so, I don't know, just those, those kind of two things combined is because probably I have, you know, I do have that early experience of having done whatever it took to get that concert going and it worked out. Like that definitely set a like tone for the rest of my career, which was, you know, you can, once you set your mind to something, you're the kind of person that sticks at it, you'll work it out. And then, and then you just think more ambitiously as you go, because you know that there's a high likelihood you'll pull it off because you know that you're not going to give up. And so 
I think that's just, <laughs> yeah, that's kind of where it comes from. It's a pattern. Yeah, no, that that is really interesting. And I wanted to talk to you say, a little bit. Oh, sorry, you go not, ahead. It's not the most, sorry, it's not the most enjoyable kind of way to live. I've got to say that because <laughs> you can put yourself under an enormous <laughs> amount of pressure and like, you know, work crazy hours and not always on the right things either. So I'm not like, I wish I'd been a bit more strategic at times or thought about things a bit more before I'd kind of said I was going to do that particular thing because, yeah. Yeah, but, that's um, a really good yeah. point. I do feel like there's a flip side to everything. So there's a real sort of benefit I can see to you kind of working it all out yourself because to your point, then you really understand every aspect of how your business is made up and how things are operating coming together. But then yeah. at the same time, you know, you do sort of run the risk of burnout and sort of overexerting yourself. And there does come that sort of fine line of, you know, if I could outsource this um, to someone who already knows what they're doing and kind of take it off my plate um, for me to focus on some of the other things. And there's a real benefit in that as well. But I guess everyone's sort of wired differently and this has mm. obviously worked and, and served you quite well up until this point. So the question I wanted to ask you was you you spoke a little bit about the fact that you've written articles in the past and you've written extensively on business and entrepreneurial topics and insights, both with the New York Times and the Australian Financial Review, amongst other publications. And so what do you, what are some of the common questions that say young budding entrepreneurs, you know, come to you and ask you for? Like are there particular hmm pieces of advice or words of wisdom that you, um, you know, typically share with people that are looking to say, follow in your footsteps? Oh gosh. I mean, I could definitely give advice on things that I think I haven't done well. That's usually what my column is about. <laughs> usually like I've tried this thing or I realized that I was stuffing this up and this is how I dealt with it. Um, that's kind of the general format. Um, I mean, people always ask me how to raise capital. If I'm totally honest, that's what I get messages on LinkedIn every week, or not every week, but at least a few messages every week asking how to raise capital, um, asking whether the business idea is going to fly or not. I mean, the probably the wisest advice I can give is something that I don't think I did well, which was to really look deeply at your passions and before you start a business, what are you really passionate about? And what are you really good at? And try and structure your career and your business around those things. Not, um, you know, don't look at what someone else is doing and think, oh, I could be like her. Um, because that is something I probably do too much. And I mean, example is Melanie from Canva is a character in my book. Um, who is a good friend and is a friend throughout the book and gives me lots of advice, which I use in my business. And then I also apply it to relationships. But I looked at her as a friend and, you know, and similar successful women that I had around me and thought, wow, I should, I should be more like them. And I'd kind of beat myself up about not being as good at some things as they are. But I've really learned more recently to kind of step back and go, I don't actually have to be that. It's awesome that she's great at all those things but I'm great at other things and I'm passionate about other things. And so I should be not necessarily a tech entrepreneur. Maybe I should be doing just like right by being an author because that 
is something that I'm super passionate about and it's also something that I'm really good at. So I think, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I got to the point at Hey U where I was five years in and I'd built this business and I was proud of it We've, and I'm still proud of it. We have a great team. We've got a great product. Um, but helping people buy coffee and drinks and it was not necessarily my life. I felt like my life's calling. And if, you, if you're going to put that much into building a business, you should like A, look at what you're, you care about. Are you willing 10 years time to get up in the morning and spend your entire day focused on solving that problem? Um, and what are you good at? What should you be doing? Should you even be starting a business or should you be starting a different type of business? Not everybody has to start a multi-billion dollar business. Yeah. Completely. That is <laughs> such great advice. And talking about, you know, following your passion and doing the purposeful work, because this is something that I'm really passionate about as well and talk a lot about on this particular podcast. And you did mention that around the age of 30, you had this pivotal moment where you started to sort of realize, okay, this music thing is not really the thing that I'm destined to do and feeling a little bit of guilt that I'm taking someone else's place who would kill to sort of be walking in my shoes right now. How did you go about the journey of really finding out that thing that you are really passionate about and that thing that really does light you up? Was it more of a thought process that you went through when you went through a process of self-discovery and self-development or was there something else that sort of prompted you to do that? Um, I mean, well, there was, so, I mean, I just jumped into tech, which is what I, I didn't think about it as much as I should have. And then, you know, went through a few durations of businesses and eventually ended up at Hey You. And then I got to say, I ended up five years later in a very similar position to what I was in at the end of my time in music. So it's only more recently that I've really thought about it and I'm way happier as a result. Um, but the advice that so my business coach actually, Isabel, gave me was that um, she said, when you think about what you want to do, don't like write down a list of, you know, pluses and minuses kind of thing. She said, think about the perfect day. Think about what you would want to be, you know, your perfect day where would you be, where would you be working? Like, would you get up in the morning, would you get in a car and drive to an office? Would you be at home? What would your home be like? Um, what would you be wearing? What kind of people would you be talking to? What kind of conversations would you be having? Um, like, just design your a day of your dreams. And then, you know, you need to build a career that's going to facilitate those kind of days as opposed to, um, and I just thought that that was a really, interesting way of looking at it it's so powerful yeah Yeah, it was very different to like the kind of like two lists that I was making before about you know these are the positives of this and the negatives of this it was like just a day and I was like oh you know what I really like to be writing actually I really enjoy there's nothing that gives me more pleasure than you know actually creating something beautiful that I think is going to move people I love writing my blogs and my columns and so I'd love to be doing more of that. I'd love to be having conversations with people like you. Um, I'd love to be talking more from the heart rather than from the head. I mean, there's nothing wrong with talking from the head, but 
just me. I like talking from the heart and being oh, a kind totally. of heart-based person. <laughs> and so I was like, these are things that are important to me that I would be doing in my day. And then I started thinking about, okay, well, what should I be doing? Um, so that really helped. Mm, I I love that. It's so great to hear your insights and experiences around that. And I'm also a really big believer in designing the kind of life that you want and, you know, asking yourself a series of really specific questions about, you know, what do you actually want to be doing? And I think when you actually sit down and sit with yourself and write your answers to those questions, you you actually get quite surprised as to what can actually come out of doing an exercise like that. And it might not be what you traditionally thought you would love to be doing. And mm. I feel like it's such a powerful and profound exercise to do. And um, I just wanted to ask you, I do want to get into your book really soon because I've got so many questions. I, I want to sure. ask you about the process and, and the book, but I did want to ask you what inspired your most recent company, Zambesi, and, and why are people calling it the Airbnb of education? <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. I mean, it's, to be honest with you, Zambesi is kind of a, um, I mean, it was, it was a project I was getting asked to consult a lot and to train other teams um, from a kind of founders, company founders perspective. And then so were my friends who were working in other high growth companies or who are other founders. So I basically just kind of almost like an agency to go into other businesses. And then we ran some big events as well. So, and some of those were doing quite well, but you know, COVID came along and when everybody was locked down, we, I kind of stopped doing that a lot of that business I moved some of it online through, um, I was really lucky to work with Sydney and run their reboot program. So I hosted a series of 18 webinars over the course of the last year designed to support so businesses recover from COVID. We ended just as the new lockdown hit um, and I'm hoping there's going to be some more news around some new reboot programs soon, but um, I'm not sure in what format. Um so that's kind of where it has gone. It's been, yeah, I've been moving more online. I've also been creating some of my own courses. I mean, it's a process. I'm still figuring out exactly what that business looked like and how it fits into what I'm doing with my writing. But yeah, it will be a combination of I really enjoy sharing what I've learned, whether that be through columns or books or courses um, or talks. So that is probably the like the business side of that. Yeah, I I love that. And I feel like there's such value in sharing those kinds of experiences with other people because I feel like mm. we're living in a digital age where, you know, online learning is becoming more of the norm and some of these more, you know, traditional methods of learning, they're not necessarily as relevant to someone who does want to follow the road less traveled or, you know, does want to take less of a scripted path. So I feel like mm. we've kind of at this point, it's a really interesting point in time whereby some of the more traditional routes of going to university and then eventually kind of climbing the corporate ladder and all of those types of more traditional paths are great if you want to become, you know, a doctor or a lawyer or, you know, someone like that. Um, and you want to follow that type of a traditional, you know, career or corporate career. But then 
we're at this interesting time where, you know, we're seeing so much more happening in the entrepreneurial space and, you know, people are more inspired to come up with their own ideas, to execute on those ideas and to provide a platform where people get access to that. I feel like is hugely beneficial because, you know, someone like you, for example, may not have had you know, the direct access to these people unless you sort of use the more traditional networking, um, you know, and trying to get in touch with mentors or or so forth. And I feel like something like this really does give that direct access to people who want really specific advice around business and entrepreneurship and mindset and all of those kinds of things. So I really love that idea and um love that you sort of moved more into that education space because I feel like you do have a lot to say and to share and um yeah absolutely and and you know people would really value um you know hearing you know from you directly so um I love that and I I did want to talk about you taking on your latest I know I said your most recent company, but then your latest venture um, in becoming an author. And I would love if you could talk to me about 138 dates. You had not been on a date for 10 years. So the question I would love to ask you is what prompted you to go down this path and to come up with this idea of going on a date per week? Um, Well, I mean, I was 34 and I woke up on Christmas morning on a fold-out bed in the garage of some friends of my parents with my parents there. And I remember waking up on that same fold-out bed when I was like 10 years old and there was all these other kids around, um, but all those kids had grown up and gone on and started their own families and I was still there on the fold out bed, <laughs> like I was still 10 years old. And, <laughs> and I was just like, this is not obviously going the way I'd hoped. I mean, I'd, I'd imagined that I would have had a family and my own little kids running around at Christmas. And I was pretty lonely. I mean, my, yeah, my first partner was killed in a car accident, which was, um, you know, we, we broke up. We were very, it's like my father, we broke up. And then he was killed in a car accident. And I was, totally broken by that experience. Oh, and so then yeah. to like grief and regret and, um, and then so I, for a few years and then I just got stuck. So then it ended up clocking up to 10 years and then I was like, hang on, I'm before like shit and I'm going to miss <laughs> out here unless I do something. Cause you start to calculate at that age. You're like, you okay, do. if I actually get out on a date and I meet someone, it's going to take me at least a year. And then they're going to want to hang, like, you know, date for a couple of years before, at least before we start trying to have kids. And, you know, by then you're kind of approaching eight. And, just, and I was like, oh, I better do something about this. And so I kind of flipped. I mean, I was scared, I think, to put myself on the, because I did have a bit of a business profile and I was in, thought people might think I was a loser or desperate or whatever. Um, and I thought I was worried about getting rejected as well. I mean, it's terrifying because it's like, it's like, you know, putting a product, <laughs> putting your product out to market and getting real <laughs> feedback. <laughs> um, you can kind of think that you're okay, but then you don't actually know until you actually go out to market. So that was a terrifying idea. Yeah. And so 
But I think that fear was still there, but the fear of being alone for the rest of my life and I'm missing out on kids, which was something I really wanted. Mm. That fear kind of overrid the fear of, of rejection and humiliation. So that made me just go, right, okay, I'm going to solve this problem. And I went about it the exact same way that I talked about business is like, I don't know what I'm doing here. I know this is going to be hard, but I know that I stick at things. So I'm going to set myself this goal one date every week for a year and, you know, I will follow through. And so that was how it started. Wow. And it was three years that you ended up going on a date per week. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. And so what were some of the qualities you were looking for when, when you were going on these dates? Like, And I, I think I heard you share this, but you did say that it's sort of your requirements changed over that <laughs> three-year period as well. So could you talk a little bit yes. about that process? I mean, I was looking for someone initially, I thought smart, tall, and fun was my three criteria. And <laughs> I, love then, that. I mean, I slowly <laughs> debunked all of those as and discovered what is actually important is none of those things. Yeah. Um, and um, so tall was the first one when I went on a date with someone who told me that he only dates blondes and he doesn't date women over 35. And I was like, well, I'm not blonde and I am 35. And so, <laughs> and I just thought that was a so superficial. I was just like, what an awful person. And then I realized that really me having height as a criteria is really similar because it's discriminating based on something people can't do anything about. So I removed height as a criteria. And then I met someone who was smart and fun. And we, he was actually in from San Francisco and we ended up going away to the Hamptons together. And he was really not nice to me. And so, and then I was like, oh, that's what's important. Nice, like caring. That's what, that's much more important you know, than smart and fun. And then I ended up at the end of the book, there's, there's a kind of epilogue and it's got, I did some research and actually spoke to the kind of world leading professor in dating psychology. And he has spent a lot of time in this lab researching with a whole lot of people, the attributes of people who make six, you know, personality attributes, people who are most likely to have successful long-term relationships. And they are like, um, you know, reliability. So someone who's like conscientious, reliable, like turns up when they say they're going to turn up, you know, generally positive, like good positive energy and like self-reflective. So they're able to kind of compromise and look at other people's perspectives. So those are the things that are actually important, you know, and, and, you know, obviously like someone who cares about you, not, um, not being smart, tall and fun. <laughs> yeah. So I can see how much those, um, <laughs> requirements changed as you went through the process. And I I guess the question I wanted to ask you is, you know, it's quite an experience. I feel like dating is, I I, I don't know, I can't speak from experience because I haven't gone on a first date in close to 12 years because I'm married and I met my husband almost 12 years ago. And that was the last first date I ever went on. But (laughs) I'm well, 34. Thank you. <laughs> I, um, You're I, very lucky. <laughs> I do feel really lucky. And I have a lot of close friends who I have seen go through really difficult dating experiences. And 
you know, now being, you know, I'm at 34 years of age and I've seen that over the past decade, how much the dating game has really changed. And, you know, back when I met my husband almost 12 years ago, I met him through a mutual friend at her birthday party and it was just very organic. And now I feel like the world of dating has changed. Everything's become about like online dating profiles and Mm. apps and all of those kinds of things. And I know you mentioned you had a difficult time kind of coming to terms with that because you didn't want to be this person that had this like online dating profile and, and things like that. So I guess I wanted to ask you like what would be out of all of these experiences that you've had, if someone were to sort of want to go on a similar journey as you in terms of, you know, finding a life partner um, and not just necessarily dating for the hell of it, but actually wanting to find someone that they can spend a long period of time with, what would be your best advice from everything that you learnt through these experiences? Oh, well, there's a whole book on that. There's like, I know. <laughs> so much. There's so much. I mean, I think like for me, it was a journey of becoming the right person largely as, as well as finding the right person. So I'll talk about them kind of separately. So, I mean, I started out thinking, I mean, I did get rejected quite early on in the process, which was really hard. And I went on this date with this very handsome lawyer and he walked me home and we kissed outside my apartment and he was like, I'll call you tomorrow. And I was so excited. And then I never heard from him again. And I spent oh. three days staring at my phone, waiting for oh. a text message to come in. And I started texting like crazy, thinking he must have lost his phone and he lost my number. And I was like, this is all a tragic stuff that you do. Um, anyway, my, um, my therapist gave me this advice, which is in the book, which she said, you know, she said, just think of yourself as a product. Someone is out there looking for you. You know, there's nothing, in fact, that he re- didn't come back to you. This doesn't mean there's anything wrong with the product. It just means that he was looking for something else. And, and so then I was like, oh, okay. So someone's looking for some, my, my kind of exact features. And that just wasn't him. We just weren't a match and that's fine, but I will find the right person. So that, that was kind of good advice because it's, took some of the sting out of the rejection because there was a lot out of those 138 dates that I never heard from again after the first date. They just completely disappeared. Or some after, you know, two or three dates would just disappear. Mm, um, yeah. And, but then I just, then I, I did after a while start to think, okay, we just went a match. That wasn't, I wasn't the right match for him and that's fine. I'm going to find my match. Um, I think I tried to change myself. Like, in order to be more appeal, what I thought might be more appealing. I always questioned how much should I talk about my work? Um, Is that intimidating? And again, like it comes back to, I did at some point, you know, you've got, you you can't, who you are, another piece of advice from a friend, which is in the book is who you are when you date is who you'll get matched with. So if you pretend to be someone who doesn't have like a lot of opinions then you'll get matched with someone who isn't interested in what you have to say. If they're interested in you and you're acting like that, then, you know, if you end up together, they're not going to be interested in what you have to say. And if that's not you, then you're going to end up miserable and probably divorced. And so there was like, you know, this kind of senator from the New South Wales parliament that I ended up dating 
And he was like I, very exciting because he kind of had high status, I guess, in terms of his job. But he was really not um, – he was not a good match for me in lots of other ways. And so I started trying to change myself. And, yeah, it was just – that was kind of her advice. And we had a terribly awkward – I don't know if you're up to that part in the book yet. But um, it's probably the most awkward and embarrassing part in the book and probably the funniest <laughs> but for everybody except me. But um, – but, you know, I, I learned a lot from that experience of not trying to change myself. And then, yeah, it's hard, like, yeah, knowing not to change yourself, knowing you need to be yourself and actually being completely comfortable being yourself, it's it's easier to know than it is to do. Mm. And so for me, there was a whole process I had to go through and that was included going to therapy and, like, learning to live with my emotions like, you know, learning to live with, to be, to sit with negative emotion and not go crazy. That was another important thing to learn. So, you know, don't chase people. Um, and then, and then there's all the stuff around finding someone. So there's like becoming the right person and then there's finding the right person and finding the right person. I think when you do get into your thirties and forties, this is a hard thing to hear, but there's, there is, it's not as easy as in your twenties because there is a reason why some men have, or women, if you're a man, have, are still single. And you might have to go on a couple of dates. Someone might be, you meet them and you're like, oh my goodness, this person's still single. That's crazy. And then a couple of dates in, you're like, oh, okay. No, I now I know why. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I think you just have to recognize that, you know, the kind of the, the later you go, the slimmer the pickings are going to be. And you just, it's a numbers game. You just have to be willing to go out and to, like have lots of conversations, go on lots of dates. And, you know, eventually there is gold out there. Like I met Rod, he had just come out of a long-term relationship. He'd only just started dating again. And, and, you know, I just got him at just the right time. But if I wasn't in it, you know, you've got to be in it to win it. I think so. That's kind of my other message is don't change yourself. Like believe someone's out there looking for you. Stay optimistic, but you've got to be willing to do, to do the numbers to, to particularly as you get older and, you know, hunt out that those really good people because they, they are out there if you're willing to look. That's such a great message. And I feel like for anyone who is, you know, struggling in terms of dating life or relationships or things like that, I think it's a really, it's really comforting, I think, for people to be reminded of that because, like I said, mm. you know, I've had some really close friends of mine who – had some really challenging dating experiences and, um, you know, not necessarily in the, in the format that you did with, you know, your commitment to it was just on another level. Um, but you know, they really did get quite disheartened and they, I think it's quite easy to kind of lose hope in that, you know, I don't know if there is someone out there for me. And mm. I think the fact that you, you know, persevered, you know, sometimes it might be a little bit of a statistics, you know, game yeah. of, you know, just kind of allowing yourself to kind of go through the motions, you know, knowing that it will be worth it in the end um, and that you can kind of find your your dream partner um, who does have the things that you really, you know, the, the qualities that you actually do value um, rather mm. than some of the, the vanity qualities that I think often come up initially. So, yeah, it's a really, Definitely. really great message. And 
I wanted to talk to you about, um, this is one, one of the final questions I have for you before we jump into our rapid fire round, but sure. I wanted to talk to you about balance because I feel like this is something that I have read and heard you talk about. And, you know, from everything that you had, you know, from being a successful tech founder, writing high profile articles, you know, having a certain level of, you know, financial success and financial freedom, you know, having your independence, you know, having all of these things, you know, through to having then, you know, the dream relationship, family, kids, you know, all of those kinds of things. Like, do you think that it is possible to have it all? And if the answer is no, then is it that it's possible to have it all, but not at the same time, or I just love to get your take on that and um, how you sort of view balance in your life. I think it depends what all is, you know. I mean, I definitely have a lot less time now than I did before I had kids. I've got a three and a five year old now, and but I mean, for so I don't know if could I start a tech business right now. I mean, maybe, I don't know. I certainly couldn't have probably done it in the same way. I couldn't have put in those same crazy hours and just figured things out as I went and not been, not been as strategic as I think you need to be when you have a lot less time. But I think that can be a good thing. You can, when you've got a lot less time, you're a lot more, I'm a lot more focused now when I'm working. Um, but I mean, I feel now like I do have it all because I figured out actually, I don't know that running a tech company at this, at least at this point in time, it's not actually for me. I mean, I, I really wanted to write when I thought about my perfect day. It had my children in it and it had picking up, picking them up from school was in my perfect day and taking them to the park or doing something fun together after school. Um, and so could I work at, you know, in a, in a high flying corporate job and do that? Like probably not. But it wasn't what I wanted to do anyway. I wanted to, I wanted to write and communicate and teach. And I, I think I can do that and have the, the, um, and, and, you know, have the time with my children and as well and yeah, fit everything in. But I guess it just depends on what you want. So for me, I do feel like I have it all, but that is because of the choices that I've made and what it actually means to me to have it all at the moment it just happens to work. So if having it all for you means, building a billion dollar business and you know you I'm not saying you can't do it but it's it's hard harder mm, that <laughs> makes perfect sense that is a, a great answer and I do have one final question before I jump into our rapid fire round and I love talking about routines and rituals and discipline and all of those kinds of things so mm. um what does your typical day now look like? You said you sort of redefined what oh, having yeah. it all looks like, you know, for you and you had envisaged these certain things that you wanted in your dream life. So what does that day kind of look like for you? Yeah, I mean, it's different right now because I've, um, I'm promoting the book, so I'm probably doing a lot more, like just a lot more hours of working and different hours. Um, but generally, so I have been, um, I mean, I get up early. I usually do a little bit of work in the morning, like I'll f 
fire off. I'll get up at kind of my husband gets up at 5.30, so I get up around the same time as him, and then I'll just do emails and things while we're having breakfast. And then the kids get up kind of 6.30. He goes at about 6.30, and then I get them ready in the morning and take them to school and to preschool. And then I'll usually go to the gym, um, and then I'll get set into I have been, as I've been doing the book, I've been sitting into writing for the rest of the day. Um, and I'll usually write for, I'll try and do at least five hours and then I'll do um, any kind of other admin stuff that I need to do. Or if I'm doing any course stuff, I'll work on that. But after I've got my, I'll try and get my 5,000 words, my, sorry, my 1,000 words out. And then I'll, um, and then I'll move on to the admin stuff. But after a thousand words, I tend to feel like my creative juice is kind of spent for the day. And then either so my mum lives close to me now so either she picks up the kid from school and takes them somewhere or I go and pick them up depending on what day it is um if it's if it's my day we usually go to the park or the swimming pool or something fun um or if it's um if it's her day then she'll take them to some like drum or whatever activity they've got and and I will continue working in the afternoon they'll be home at like four or five and then we'll have dinner together and yeah and me and Rod take turns at putting each of them to bed. So I'll have one night with Bobby, who's three, and then the next who I had tonight. And then so we do puzzles together <laughs> and do a story. And then I lie with him while he falls asleep because he's still three and he doesn't go to sleep by himself. Um, <laughs> and then um, and then the other night I'll have Eve and she's five. And so we'll do reading and stuff together and our homework. And then, and then um, yeah, we just swap so that we each get them one night each, I think. I love that. Anyway. It's such a great insight into your day. And um, I do have yeah. a lot of um, podcast listeners and audience that are mums who have got young kids, but also trying to manage their careers and businesses and all of those kinds of things. And so it's a common question that comes up. And I always love asking people <laughs> around that. And um, I did want to jump into our rapid fire round. Sure. And um, the first question I wanted to ask you is what is one piece of advice? that you would give to your 20-year-old self? Oh, well, that is definitely about being, like looking at what you're really digging deep at what you're passionate about, looking internally rather than externally for inspiration about what to do in your career. So I spent way too much time looking at people like Mia Friedman thinking I should be like her and I wasn't funny enough or pretty enough or like, you know, uh, doing that, running a business like hers Whereas actually I shouldn't have been doing that at all. I should have been looking at what I was good at and what I was passionate about internally and using that to guide my direction rather than looking externally at, at role models. Great answer. Question two, what is one thing that you've got gotten better at saying no to? <laughs> um, I probably just would like – I used to get asked, I still get asked to give people business advice a lot. And, you know, I'll try and do something quickly, but um, I just can't. Yeah, I can't. I try, I used to say yes to everything and speaking at every in, um, event, things like that. You know, I'm naturally, I think maybe it's an insecurity thing, whereas I feel like it might be an opportunity that will lead to something. And I don't want to let people down. That's the other thing. But then it's just got too crazy having children to, do as much of that so I have gotten better at saying no to that kind of thing okay and, and try to focus yeah and and do you have any strategies for being able to say no um 
I mean, I don't know if I can share Melanie's advice to me, but this is something that she, she is like the most amazingly focused person I have ever come across. Yeah. It's incredible. Um, yeah. Um, anyway, I remember she's, even at the very beginning of her business, I remember her saying that she wasn't, she wasn't going to do external meetings this month. And I was just like, oh, that's so funny, but it (laughs) totally works. Um, and um, but I remember her saying she was, she said no to things. I was like, gosh, you say no to things like that, which I thought were like, you know, opportunities. And she just says, well, I say no, because I know that if I say yes, then it's going to lead to a whole lot of other questions for things for me to do. And I'm going to have to say no to lots of things. So if I just say no at the beginning, then I won't get all of the other things to say no to. So I was like, oh, that's a good, that's a good point. Like if yeah. I say yes to doing that one thing, that's going to lead to a whole lot of other things I'm going to get asked to do. Um, and so I just thought that was a good piece of advice that, in terms of focus. Yeah, that's a really great way of phrasing it. I love that. <laughs> Question three, what is the best investment that you've ever made? Could be, you know, something that you've invested your time into, money, uh, energy, anything. A hundred percent. It was my 138 days. That's <laughs> <laughs> because like you think about the amount of time you invest in your career. And I remember thinking like this, I spent so much time in my business but actually, when I'm going to look, when I'm going to be 80 years old, looking back at my life, what's going to make the biggest difference is finding a partner that I love and you know, making a family. And so, I should be investing as much time and energy into that as I do into work. And so, I'm so glad. <laughs> when you find that person, that's the other thing I want to leave people with. It's not like building a business where you build it bit by bit by bit. When you find the right person, it just everything changes overnight, and it's like a whole new, you know paradigm that you're in and so I'm so glad that I made that investment I love that such a great response and um question for what is one motto quote or saying that you live by Uh, okay so I'm a huge Robert Kennedy fan um JFK's brother anyway his quote that I love is only those who dare only those who dare to fail greatly can ever achieve greatly and so I always remember that when I'm like taking a risk with something is if you don't dare to fail greatly, you will never achieve greatly. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> Question five, what habit routine or ritual has most positively impacted your life? So this is my, like I jog every day. I try to jog every day and that is, um, I would not give that up for anything. That's always makes me feel better and I feel rubbish if I don't jog for a few days yeah there's a reason why they call it runner's high like there's some sort of feeling you get from running that I don't think any other kind of exercise can give you so I totally get that um Rebecca where are the best places for people to find you connect with you and also purchase a copy of 138 dates oh thank you well my website is rebeccacampbell.com which is R-E-B-E-K-A-H, Campbell.com. Um, so I've actually moved all my courses in Zambezi stuff onto that website now, and that's where I'm publishing all my articles. Um, my book, the best place to buy it in Australia is Booktopia, um, which is the biggest online bookshop, but it should be in every bookshop. But at the moment, everyone you know, probably is locked down, so Booktopia is the best place to go. But if you're not locked down, target Big W and normal bookshops. Um and oh, I'm also on Instagram. I'm newish to Instagram, but I'm um, getting better at it. Um, and I'm on LinkedIn. And no, I really, actually, really, I never thought I would like Instagram as a um, platform, but I actually really, really loving it. 
um, and and yeah, just Facebook and LinkedIn. Awesome. Well, we will put all the links to those in the show notes, including the link to your website and Booktopia, um, since that's probably the the main site for people to order, especially during lockdown. Um, but Rebecca, thank you so much for coming on the show. I've absolutely loved our conversation and hearing about your not just your incredible entrepreneurial journey, but also your incredible dating journey, which you have so <laughs> vulnerably and brilliantly shared in your new book. And um, I mentioned to you that I've started reading it and I'm absolutely loving it. Um, I was hoping to finish it before this interview, but I couldn't get there in time. Um, but it's such a great read and I highly recommend it. Um for anyone that just really, even if you're not actually actively dating, I feel like there's just such wisdom in some of the insights and stories that you've shared. And I feel like it really helps to sort of understand, you know, what it is like to be a woman, you know, going on this journey and um, really just give some awesome insights um, and experiences, which I, I'm absolutely loving. So thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story with us. And um, yeah, you've been an awesome guest to have on. So I've really enjoyed our no. conversation. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed that conversation as well. Thanks a lot for having me. Pleasure. And thank you so much to everyone for listening. Bye for now. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Boss in Heels podcast. Be sure to visit bossinheels.com for a ton of information, resources, and articles on all things career and personal development. And subscribe to this podcast for all future episodes.